0: up everybody and welcome back to another episode of bike race weekly i'm your host rick and i'm joined by a special guest today uh andrew Frey. andrew how's it going
1: ah oh, it's pretty good how are you doing rick
0: it's good man how's the uh, how's the setup for you can you hear me all right
1: yeah i can hear you
0: awesome yeah we're doing this remote um cool so yeah i thought uh, just a, hey, a little a little background on oh sorry. hold on
1: Rick, rick. <laughs> you said my name wrong though
0: a- andrew fry fry Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, man. You want to start bad, over? Bad start. Start. Start over. All right. Introducing uh, my special guest, Andrew Fry. Uh, Andrew, how's it going? Uh, what's What's going on with you? How are you?
1: It's good. It's good. Just uh, busy right now, working on a lot of Toad stuff. So it's been yeah. fun.
0: That's awesome to hear. And we'll definitely get into that. Um, but yeah, just to, to give the audience a little bit of a background on uh, on Andrew. Andrew is a uh, a former uh, very high level psych- cyclist. Uh, you know, I think what you said you were a, a cat two back in the day, if I'm not mistaken, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Cat two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So a high level cyclist in your own right, and then uh, I'm sure if any of our listeners, you know, rec- might recognize the name, they're probably familiar with you as the uh, the role of director of the Estelle's Pro Cycling Team, uh, which was one of the most dominant teams on the U.S. Crit circuit and road circuit kind of around like the mid 2010s, you know, like what in that period of like 20, I'd say, you know, 14 to 16, you guys had some really, really good years, but the team goes back even a little bit farther than that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we started it in 2012. We did a couple of years as an amateur squad and then uh, did uh, three years as a pro squad, finished it out in 2016.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then now uh, what you're really involved in is working uh, pretty pretty closely with, uh, the Tour of America's Dairyland doing a lot of organization there making the race happen. And, uh, yeah, you, you've definitely stepped up your director, uh, promoter area in the last couple of years, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's going along well.
0: Cool. And, uh, so did I miss anything? Am I, am I missing any accolades? Did I, uh, I'm sorry, did I, did I underplay your introduction?
1: No, (laughs) no, that was, uh,
0: good awesome man uh well yeah well let's uh let's get into it a little bit um we'll kind of i think we'll meander our way through a couple topics and eventually we'll get to how you and i met um but yeah you mind just giving me a little bit of a background on how you actually got into cycling because um, like i just mentioned you know you you were a really high level cyclist in your own right um still ride today as well which is awesome but yeah, just give me like a little bit of a background, you know, what, what was it like uh, growing up for you and how did you get into the, the road?
1: Season? Yeah. So I, uh, I've got a brother who's six years older than me, so I was, you know, following him around. And so he started with bike touring and then I started with bike touring and then he started doing some racing. So when I was 15 or so, I started doing some racing as well. So, um, yeah, I raced from when I was 15 until maybe I was close to 30 and then kind of, took a break from racing but started doing more of the team stuff started doing some race promoting in ohio i I worked for a promoter in ohio we had a pretty good scene there um back in the early 2000s and then uh then moved to wisconsin and so now i'm working with toad here
0: yeah that's that's awesome man and um you know we've talked a little bit about you know just like some of the some of the cooler races that you know still are around today but some of them that don't exist anymore um, and I, you know, I kind of feel like the nineties, even maybe like the early two thousands was just like an awesome era for racing. And, you know, I'm sure there's people that will say too. you know, you go back even further, let's say the eighties and the seventies, I'm sure there's also some races that were, were going on that don't exist anymore, but I'm always. You know, I, my entry to the sport was kind of around like, you know, 2015, 2016 got into it um so that's kind of like my so everything that i've done or all the races that i've kind of seen up until now have you know have been these events that you know have a lot of history behind them but i kind of want to get your uh your thoughts on like what are since you've you know obviously been to a lot of races you know been in the scene for a long time in your opinion like what are some of the your favorite races like what are some of the coolest races that are on the american scene
1: well i mean i guess i'm biased but i would say the, the Toad series overall is a great series um, just because, uh, you know, it's 11 days of racing. You get to do it all over again the next day if you screw up. Um, but other than that, like, um, you know, like I, I really enjoyed, I, I never raced Redlands, but I enjoyed going out and working Redlands with the team when we had that. That was a, that was a fun one to do. Um, you know, I don't know. Some other, some other good ones. Like, race that you probably never heard of is Erie street in Windsor, Ontario. It's on labor day weekend. And it's just like a 60 year old race in the Italian neighborhood. There it's a completely boring course. It's four corners wide open, super easy to finish really hard to place. Well, but it's just like this old classic race, like 50 mile race. And so that was a, that was always a favorite. And I think I might actually go back and
0: do the, that one this year.
1: Uh, Cause it's going to be with a Detroit race. So I think I might go back and do that one this year. So, um, so
0: now is that race part of? Uh, that's not. That's not in the BC area, right? That has nothing to do with BC Super Week. That's no, kind of no. Its own thing. Okay. Yeah, it's
1: its own thing. It's it's just right outside of Detroit. So, um, yeah, it's a fun one. And then you know, back in the back in the in the 90s and in the early 2000s, there was a good race series in Ohio. It was called Tour of Ohio, and it was 18 days of crit racing. So. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was awesome. It was, uh, during the week, it was only like a citizens race and a pro one, two race. Um, and so it was like uh, small towns, towns of like 2000 people. And it would be a thing to do for that town, you know, the biggest event of the, of the summer in those small towns. And they were always awesome. And then on the weekends, it would be in a little bit bigger cities and it'd be the full day of racing with all the different categories. So, I mean, that was, that's, I'm from Ohio. So that was always a good one to do. It was a lot of fun um yeah so that was fun
0: so what kind of like how you know toad was essentially uh kind of like a um the the newer version of of super week right after super week got kind of whittled down to what's now an, a really cool 11 day event which is toad but with that ohio series two over ohio do any of those races still exist like are there a couple of those races that you know, kind of are still around. They're still like individual races.
1: No, no, not really. It was one promoter that did them
0: all. And like, uh,
1: no, those races don't exist anymore. None of them do. Um, The Ohio scene isn't what it used to be. It used to be, you know, 25 days of racing in the summer, you know, there was that 18 day series and then another seven to 10 other really good races. And now there's like three or four throughout the summer. So yeah, it's not, not what it used to be, but you know, you, you brought up Super Week, but so June was the 18 days in Ohio. July was 18 days in Wisconsin. And then there was 10 days in Michigan in August. That was all just Midwest.
0: <laughs> that I mean, that's just so insane to even think about. You know, that's that's well over 30 days of racing a calendar right. year. I mean, that, it's just crazy like, to think, you know, just compared to like what calendars are today, which, you know, they're, they're a lot smaller than they used to be. I mean, did you even have to train? Are you just, you know, coming into the season uh, with a little bit of fitness and just hitting all the things and, yeah, just kind of good to go for the year? Like, I can't yeah. imagine sitting and riding between all that racing.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you would train early in the year, and then, uh, yeah, and then once you start the racing, then you just uh, do the racing and try to maintain and then uh, take breaks when you need to between the series and then hope to have some by the time you get to August do the Tour of Michigan.
0: Yeah. That it's, I mean, that's just wild to think. I mean, you know, I've talked to some people that they'll do like the, uh, the tour of America's Dairyland and intelligentsia cup double. And they'll be like, Oh man, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely cooked. And that, you know, just thinking back to like, yeah, some of these, other other you know series or older stories it's like man i can't even imagine yeah doing 30 30 odd days in, in the span of three months but it's that had to have been like a really cool opportunity though you know for both a pro and an amateur especially for a pro though to be able to kind of get that exposure and like you said you know it's a chance every single day to line up and you know basically give it another shot you know whether you had a good day or a bad day you know each day is a, a brand new day to you know really give it a go
1: yeah, yeah, and that's what it was like, you know. And, but the other thing, those races were longer than what the guys are doing now. So uh, they were between 50 and 100K, 50 and 63 mile for the crits. So that was tough, too. They were they were long races. They played out different, though, because they, they weren't as intense, um, you know, because they lasted a lot longer. So it, it took long. Like a break would go, and then everybody would kind of just rest for the rest of the day. And then they'd
0: give it another go the next day.
1: So. Wasn't as intense, but but there was a lot of racing, a lot of miles.
0: Yeah, the actually the, the first time I had had ever heard of uh, the actual length of those races, it, it kind of blew me away. Just compared to like you know what they are now, which is uh, about you know forty five minutes roughly for all the amateur fields, and an hour and a half for like the pro one two field. But there's a really cool uh, documentary on YouTube. It's uh, it's like a seven part series. I, I forget who actually did it. But they put together kind of like a mini documentary on uh, Super Week. I think it was 1992 or 1993. Anybody listening that wants to, like, you know, really get into, like, a, a, just a cool series, I highly recommend go watch that. It's, it's awesome. But it's kind of crazy because it seemed like on, uh, on most of those courses, you've got guys laughing the fields. And I don't know if that's just a function of the courses being so short and then the races being so long. But, you know, you've got, like... Uh, Roberto Gaggioli and Jonas Carney and a couple other of these like super strong riders getting into like breaks. It seemed pretty frequently and just, you know, putting uh putting laps on the field.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them was races it would take, you had to lap the field twice to win. <laughs> you had to, That's you to lap the field once to get top 10 and then lap the field twice to, to be in the winning move. But I'll tell you who did that documentary is something that ties around to me. It was Jamie Smith who, uh, who wrote the book American pro that was about the Estella cycling. Yeah. He's the one who put together that documentary.
0: No way. I, so, I mean, and yeah, we'll talk a little bit about American pro. Um, that's so cool though, because I, I, somebody put it on YouTube, but, um, I don't know if Jamie's in the credits. I must've missed that, but I just assumed, you know, it was maybe some kind of like local, local production, but that's awesome. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really well-produced, uh, well-produced video. And, it's just a really cool like time capsule too because you get to look at all these races, especially in Wisconsin. Like you know, things have obviously changed a lot over the last couple of decades. Um, like uh, the very last race of the series is now or was a uh, a points race around the Capitol, which is crazy because you know points races aren't a thing. Um, and I I mean, if anybody from the Madison area knows, it is super hard to put on any events around the Capitol or even in the city of Madison. So to see like an actual Points race go on criterium style. That's actually really cool.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and going back in the into the '90s, there used to be two or three races every year around the capital, because there would be a, a super week race, but in in uh, in early June, there would be a uh, there'd be it was famous footwear put it on, but there would just be a five thousand dollar criterium there in early June each year. And then I've even done like collegiate races around the capital. So there would always, there would always be at least two, sometimes three different races each year around the capital.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. It was, it was just wild to see. Cause like I said, I mean, even, even a collegiate race, you know, like it's hard to imagine, you know, the UW cycling team being able to have the money now to to shut down uh, all transit around the capital. I got to ask though, if you, uh, have you done that race around the capital before?
1: Yeah. I probably, I don't know, five or 10 times. probably. All right. So yeah. All
0: right. So if you walk, if you ride around the Capitol, it's like, it's, um it's off camber. Like it's, yeah. it's not really, it's like, you know, and for anybody that's, that's unfamiliar, off camber is a term that basically means like a, a reverse bank. So, you know, when you're, when you're going around on your bicycle, you have like minimal traction the entire way around. So, so yeah, I mean, that's like, <laughs> that must have been a little bit dicey. eh?
1: I, I did it two times in the rain Two, two of like the oh, five or six times I've done it. was in
0: the rain. Oh my and, God. But yeah.
1: I crashed quite a few times.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's unreal. I, I think, you know, I could see them not doing that race anymore just for the, for the sake of like, you know, that course being on such a kind of a dicey, uh, dicey platform or, or dicey terrain there.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well it's, it's off camber. So those are tricky. The other thing about it, though, is that uh, the laps are so short. It's like you're going around a velodrome. You're just lap after lap, just turning. It feels like you're turning the whole time. So yeah. it's, uh, you get a little bit dizzy riding around that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but yeah, I'm mean, kind of getting back to a little bit of that documentary. Like when I was watching that documentary, there was uh, some pretty big teams that I'd heard of before, like uh, Coors Light, Saturn. Um, those seem to be like the biggest two but I think there's a couple other teams Um, you know I guess you've probably got a pretty good perspective on you know just like uh, how some of those teams operated were those just crit squads like were those completely domestic based uh, teams and were they were they able to do like a pretty big program because if you know anything about you know U.S. domestic racing uh, everybody brings up the powerhouse teams back in the day and I've always wondered, you know, when you talk about a powerhouse team, like, how, you know, how were these teams run? Were they, were they, you know, kind of doing their own thing? Or did they have to go and do some, like, uh, international races?
1: No, so yeah, they, they would do the international stuff. But I'll tell you, like, those guys were just as good as anybody, any other team around the world. So um, the way that it would work is the, the biggest race back in the uh, early 90s was the Tour de Trump. And then it became the Tour de Pont, which was an East Coast race. Um, kind of like tour of california was and uh and those guys would all they'd be competitive with all the the european teams that would come over but what was different then um is guys would do all the races so they would do stage races they would do one day road races and then they would also come and do all the crits so now it's like guys will define themselves as crit guys or road guys back then it was like they were just bike racers and they would go to all the different races and, and, you know, they could do it all.
0: Yeah. That, that definitely seems like a, like a big difference, you know, especially with, uh, with some of the stages and the races, you know, in super week, you know, you had these kind of climbing road races, you had a couple really flat, super tight criteriums, and it was kind of cool to see you had the same riders, you know, that were kind of contesting for these hillier stages also contesting for these sprint finishes and i i don't really know when that changed when that changed but it definitely seems like that's been a bit of a shift over the years where people kind of feel like they're a bit more specialized you know if you're a sprinter you're a sprinter if you're a climber you save it for the those hillier stages and that's kind of where you shine so yeah it was really cool to see like you know maybe maybe just back in the day a little while ago people were a little bit more well rounded
1: yeah and you know i i think that uh, just the whole structure of teams and sponsorship i think uh caused a change um from people like you know uh, 25 years ago a lot of the publicity would come um at the races so you're you know you're racing around the criterium you see the saturn cycling team you see their saturn cars that's what's selling the cars then the switch kind of came with tour of georgia tour of california where there became a lot more tv coverage and so all the sponsorship. Was, was to be seen at those races and in, in to be seen on TV. And it kind of went away from, like, what you could do at the event. Um, and so all the, the smaller U.S. pro teams were all fighting to get into the Tour of California. So then they're doing the smaller UCI road races and just, you know, the, the budgets weren't there to do everything. So they're doing smaller UCI races to score the points so they can get into the Tour of California so they can get on the TV. Um, and so guys went away from doing criteriums just because teams weren't doing them because they didn't have the budgets to do them at that point.
0: Oh yeah, and and there, there was also too. I, I don't know when USA Crits became a thing, but there was kind of that split then, right, between the pro road the pro road tour and, and USA Crits. I think this might have been farther down the road, but like yep. did that ha- did that have a big impact on then you know these teams kind of like having to choose you know oh do we want to be a road race team or do we want to be a crit team? So,
1: Yeah. You know, and it wasn't even just USA crits, but it was USA cycling. So there used to be the national road calendar that had a combination of road races and stage races and crits. And then one year, probably about the same time as USA crits started, they split the calendar in half and they had a crit calendar and they had a road calendar. And when that came, that kind of, that definitely made a big split between, you know, the squad. So, you know, a, a crit squad was, was you know searching for the crit calendar win, and then the road squad was searching for the road calendar win, and it wasn't just a squad of of both you know searching for the overall.
0: Yeah, and, and before we get kind of too too in, into the weeds about uh, team structure and and kind of crits and road racing, I think that might be a good segue into uh, a little bit about um, you as a race or a team director, and and uh, was that your title at Estelle's team director?
1: yeah 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 I guess so
0: yeah so so tell me a little bit about how how that kind of came to be and like you said you know that that team was started back in 2012 and and operated for quite a few years so um yeah what what was kind of the genesis of the Estella cycling team
1: yeah so it actually starts in like 1999 so my friend Matt Kern and I um he's a he's a pharmacist and works for a pharmaceutical company so he got some sponsorship for a team back in 1999 and we are sponsored by detrol la which is bladder control drug which is pretty awesome to be at races and have people talk about oh i use that drug and then you're like whoa like <laughs> thanks for too much information but, yeah, but then. <laughs> But then, yeah, then the following year, and, and that was just kind of a local kind of team. It was me and Matt and, you know, some other guys. And we were, we were okay, you know, we, like we did regional kind of stuff and we were okay. But then the next year, um, it became Pharmacia, which was the company as a whole. And we became kind of a hitter team, like of amateurs. Like it was guys who were getting top 10 at Redlands. And we had Ben Sharp, who was national champion, criterium rider and stuff. And oh, so that was what? our, Yeah. And so that was our, that was our first team, but then the company was sold halfway through the year and the team folded. And, uh, and then it took another, you know, 12 years before Matt found a new company that would sponsor a team. And it happened to be, um, a transition time in my life. I went from working in education to becoming a stay at home dad. So I had time while I was staying at home to kind of organize the team and it just grew. It it started as like, I didn't even know any of the guys like I was sending them to all these races, but I'd never even met any of them to so then, it you know, it just it developed to where I'd started traveling with the team and, and, you know, doing more of the selecting of the, the races that we would do and then, and then doing the full like UCI calendar with the team.
0: So, so when it comes to like finding riders to fill your roster, that that's kind of interesting. You say that, like, you know, you, you kind of didn't have a lot of contact with these riders. What was, putting guys on on this team i mean um i know you can obviously go by race results but i'm sure there's a lot more to that than just you know who's the best rider
1: yeah you know it's it's funny because uh a lot of people will will tell you how to run a team um and and they'll tell you what you want and what your goals should be as as a team director or as what your sponsors will want a lot of people give you their opinion but they have no idea what our sponsors want. They have no idea what our philosophy was a team was and stuff like that. So our thing was a lot about personality. It was a lot about um getting guys to the races to give them a chance to grow. Um we had a lot of guys who were finishing college or had already finished college um and weren't just like, you know, solely focused on bike racing, but would do do some other stuff. Um and another thing that we we did was well, we were one of the few teams that would do a full road calendar and a full crit calendar. Um, so we were looking for guys that would do both um, you know we could have we could have split that team in half so we always had fifteen or sixteen riders, and our goal was that those fifteen and sixteen riders all of them would race fifty race days a year um, whereas a lot of teams you know guys are you'll have one, you'll have one set of focus. It'll be all road guys. they will have nine guys on the team and those guys will average 25 race days a year. Um, You know, so we, we did, we did a full squad and we in the of both criterium and road riders and uh, yeah, we were just, we were looking at newer young guys who are up and coming. And then we would grab a couple of older, more experienced guys to kind of be mentors um the mentors on the team so it was kind of a combination of guys who were on their way up and, and guys who were were still there but had some knowledge to share
0: yeah and and looking at some of your past riders and you know you, you've obviously seen a lot of uh riders move through the Estella's program it's it's really cool to see you know a lot of these guys have gone on to you know use Estella's as like a stepping stone whether it be to um, continue on the sport or, you know, use it as uh, kind of a gateway into other areas. I'm even thinking about like Stephen Hyde, I think was on your team for a while, who's now multi-time national uh, cyclocross champion. Um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, kind of like looking down the roster, there's there's a lot of very familiar names uh, from anybody who's familiar with the, the domestic cycling scene, even possibly the international cycling scene as well. Um, but I, I'm really interested in, uh, you know, like looking at all these riders who was somebody that you put on the team that was a big surprise to you, whether it be, you know, the results that they produced, you know, like somebody that maybe you didn't have the, the, the highest expectations for and just really outperformed. Like what was, what was that big surprise for you?
1: Oh man. I do know that's a tough question. I don't know. I don't know who the big surprise was. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like I would say like our, our, our high, the, well, Stephen Hyde, obviously um, best known um, best known American rider that, that came through our program. And, you know, he came, he came to us as a fresh cat one. Um, we saw a couple of results that he had on some, the crossroads crit series in North Carolina in, in August of one year. So he had like three results and he beat Jonathan page in a sprint in a cross race. And we're like, okay, this could be our, this could be our hidden gem that nobody knows, you know? And, uh, Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I think that we helped him, um, you know, he was, he was already, he was already making his name by that point, but, but we gave him an opportunity to do some racing during the summer that he might not have gotten. Um, so I, I hope that it was a a mutually good relationship. I think it was. Um, and then, um, Breck Donna came from Belgium and he actually went on and eventually made it to Wanti group. So that was probably our, our highest level European rider that we got oh, wow. out, of the, out of the program. So that was, that was cool. I mean, he was like a, he came to us, he, he, he went through the Belgian like kind of route, but he went to school and he had a master's degree. So he was in school. So he was overlooked by the teams in Europe. Um, so he came here, did some races, got some really good UCI results. And that got him back onto the radar in Europe, um, you know, so he ended up being on Monte group from that. So that was, that was kind of cool. Um, yeah. You know, I think Ryan Aichinson, um we had to convince him to become a crit rider. He was, he went through the Canadian national team and, and really wanted to do the road stuff. And, and we tried to like, we, t- we had to convince him that, that he was a really good crit rider and he ended up winning Athens Twilight and probably 10 other races that year in 2016. So it was cool watching him progress from, you know, a stage racer, road racer kind of guy to one of the best crit riders in the country.
0: Yeah. And actually, it's funny that you bring up Ryan Aethenson, too, because um, that's that's actually kind of the way that I... have Big, found out about Estelas as a team and I, I actually was a, a big fan even before you know I knew you or kind of early on into my cycling career because Ryan would put those uh those race videos on YouTube where he wouldn't put sometimes he would put the full video but a lot of times he would do like a super set, which was like an awesome GoPro video from from his front handlebars and obviously Ryan was a super high level crit racer so you know you could kind of see the view of the race from the front but you know, he was kind of one of the, one of the first people that I would say pioneered that, uh that kind of race cut GoPro footage on YouTube. And that actually made me a huge fan because I got to kind of see him race and it just, it was just really awesome. Um So yeah, that's kind of, I think that's, I think that's honestly how a lot of people found out about Estelas and kind of became estelas fans was through those videos.
1: Yeah, no, that was, that was pretty awesome. Ryan, Ryan enjoyed doing that stuff and yeah, he was, he's definitely a, uh, he was definitely a smart guy and and understood how to how to sell himself and market himself and yeah now he's just doing his own thing he's always got two or three different businesses going on and yeah so it was fun yeah, to it was fun to work with him
0: yeah you gotta I mean if you're if you're you know racing all the time and you know probably tired you gotta really enjoy doing that to you know set aside the time to actually you know make that a part of your of your of your day right recording filming editing putting it up on youtube so that that was really cool yeah but i, I kind of wanted to circle back to um you know you mentioned some of your european riders um i always wondered because in belgium there's a, a and i think the netherlands as well too there's a it maybe germany i'm not sure about germany but i know there's a a, a pretty healthy and, and vibrant Kermes scene which for the listeners that aren't aware Kermes is are are similar to criteriums they tend to be a lot longer um and they tend to the race dynamics tend to be a bit different as well too but i, I always wonder did you get a lot of riders from europe trying to get onto a Stellis because they knew that the u.s had such a uh, such a big crit scene
1: you, you know not not many so our our are you, we would get random, we would get random resumes, but we didn't know what the races were. It'd be like, Uh, you know, they they would tell us they won this race, but who knows it could have been to us. It was a parking lot crit, you know, in some small town and we, we knew nothing about it. So, so really our, our European connection came from Matt green um, who's an English rider, but he he did five years in Belgium, you know, race for a lot of different teams with a lot of really big name riders and stuff. And, and he wanted to come and travel and, and see the U.S. And uh, he came to our team when, when we, you know, it was our second year of a team. We weren't a pro team yet, but, but he came and, and he was our European connection. So he, uh, his, uh, our first year as a pro team, we actually went to Europe for two or three weeks. Or maybe, well, no, it was probably three or four weeks. And uh, we had a European director and, and the deal was we had to put this guy's son on the team. Uh, but they got us into all these, you know, 0.1, one day races in Europe. Um, we didn't do any commences when we were there. It was funny because the guys like they would race two times a week, uh, these big road races. Um, but yeah. And so uh, our European riders were all English guys, except for Breck who came from Belgium. So, um, yeah, I mean, guys were interested in coming, but we didn't know anything about them. So, <laughs> so we were nervous. We were nervous about bringing guys in that we didn't know
0: yeah that, that's a good point about the parking lot grid it's like you know some some uh, obscure dutch name it's like yeah i don't know you know could could be anything right right um, but yeah i i i have i kind of wondered too you know when uh with the you mentioned that you know the team really really got going in 2012 is kind of when i started heating up with being kind of a, a high level elite you know domestic amateur team and then making it your way to eventually being you know one of if not the top uh, teams on the U.S. circuit at the time uh, what what do you think was the year the season or, or the time where you really kind of saw the, the switch flip uh, and really the team kind of went into like overdrive and started producing a lot of the really uh, great results was it was it kind of a, just a season where things really started clicking along or, or was it just kind of a steady progression along the way
1: uh there was a steady progression i mean like i think one of our big philosophies that matt karen and i had was that we didn't want to like outgrow ourselves and so we were like if we can make a 10 percent increase each year and that's you know with what we were able to do with the riders what the riders were able to do results wise race wise that kind of stuff we we felt like we were growing at the right rate um and i and i think that uh, our uh, maybe that 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 switch was flipped probably in 2015 so the second to last year of the team uh, it was pretty dialed that year um we brought on adam Meyerson that year and uh and he was still loving his racing but you know he he didn't he couldn't you know i mean he had his days like he won a stage at toad but you know he also he was uh you know he could you know teach the, uh, the younger guys how to do it. You know the year before that actually actually 2014 was a good year too. Um Justin Williams um yeah, he won a lot of races in 2014 um just yeah, it it was it was also teaching the younger guys how to ride. So 2014-2015 is where it was really coming together winning a lot of criteriums.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm sure, you know, having Myerson on the team had to have been, you know, quite the asset since, you know, that the guy's been, you know, probably through more races than almost anybody can even imagine, you know, being that he's had such a long career. So having him as that road captain, kind of able to, you know, rally the younger guys and just, you know, give him that kind of uh, uh, guidance it had been really helpful and kind of laid that nice foundation going into, you know, your, your 15 and 16 seasons. Yeah, definitely um and talking about you know having that that uh that steady progression and and starting to kind of rack up some big wins with the stelis um you know in your opinion what do you think was uh you know the the result it could be a win it could you know maybe not be a win but what's the result with the team that you you were most proud of or, or just most uh psyched about I, I think i have my answer but i want to know yours first
1: yeah so I'll, I'll give you i'll give you three i'll give you three uh, um the first one was breakfast. Breck on won one in um, the Winston-Salem criterium. Um, and that was in, uh, that was in 2014. And uh, so it was our first year as a pro team. He was new to the U S people didn't really know who he was. He was getting some top tens at, at some stages and some races and stuff, but nobody really knew who he was. And this was really his first criterium that he'd done. Uh, first real criterium he had done. And he's rode off the front the entire day. And, uh, coming into the closing laps his group was getting caught and uh he just timed it right and uh held off the sprinters the guys that were with him in the in his break got caught but he timed it right and started his sprint you know 20 feet ahead of everybody else when they were sprinting and held that 20 feet all in line so that was that was that was an awesome one that was a big one um the next one was uh was its toad stage which was a lot of fun it was uh it was Waukesha and it was um, it was Brandon Fury was in the break all day with uh he was with Dan Gardner. So it was those two from Estellas and there was like eight or nine other guys um, and they lapped with two laps to go and all the other teams that had guys that lapped weren't paying any attention to what was happening. And they were just like kind of setting themselves up for the field sprint and forgot about their guys who were about to lap them. And, uh, and Estelis played it perfect. Um, Hyde sat at the back, waited for him, waited for Brandon, and got him right up to to Myerson's wheel, and they killed everybody in the sprint. So that was that was a fun one. It was a fun one because it was a you know full team effort, and they were attentive to what was going on. They didn't forget about the guys who were off the front. And then I guess uh, I'm I guess I, I'm I'm guessing this is going to be your your big one, um, but but. Um, it was Amon Lucas winning the final stage of the Tour of Fushan, which happened to be our final race as a team. So that was in, in China. We, we, we didn't figure out how to get to China until the team was done. And that was our, our final race as a team. So, you know, there's 500,000 people watching this race. And he won the final stage. So that was Awesome.
0: Yeah, that, that was a really special race. Um, I know there's, you know, I think there's some YouTube video, there's some footage of that race too. And, um, yeah, being that it was your final race, uh, you know, I mean, the, the race couldn't have played out, you know, any more perfectly with Iman in a break with a couple of the riders and just, you know, attacking the group and, you know, bringing it home solo uh, to win that race, which, you know, I think up until that point was, was probably one of the, the team's biggest results being that was, uh,
1: was that a UCI uh, one point one? Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah, it was a point yeah. yeah, and, 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 and yeah, um, and and you had you had Iman on the show. So and anybody, especially people in Wisconsin, anybody who knows Iman knows knows his big personality and, and how great a guy he is. So Iman in China was a hit that like
0: I, I'm sure everybody was pulling him over to get pictures. Oh, uh,
1: everybody, everybody just... loved it. They loved it. Even, you know, and all the other teams loved that he won that day too. Like people were psyched that he won that day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's such a cool win and what a, what an awesome way to go out with the team. Um I, But you know, that actually that was not my race that I was going to pick. Wow. Um, okay. I I was going to pick the, uh the Athens twilight win with HSM. Ah. And 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 you know, I mean, granted, I'm I'm a little biased because I, I pay a little bit more attention to the U.S. races, and I'm obviously a USA Crits fanboy. So you know, anybody that wins Twilight, I think, I think that's just like you know, a huge deal to me. Uh, especially you know being that you guys had a crit squad I mean that is the that is the pinnacle I think of of the one day crit wins um, so I think Athens and the way too that that race played out with I mean with Aldo going to the front and just I mean absolutely ripping everybody's legs off and just lining up Ryan for the for the easy sprint well, I mean, easy in quotes. Right. But I mean, I thought that was also a very cool one, but a hey, very close, very close to the win in uh, China. So, yeah.
1: And you know that, that Athens win actually was a lot like the, uh, the Waukesha win at the tour of America's Dairyland because the team was attentive and it was, it was all in for the win. It wasn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't forget about, they didn't forget about uh, Ryan, you know, when he left the field the second time, they, they knew what they needed to do. And, and, um Aldo is who Brandon beat in Waukesha so I'm pretty sure Aldo got second that day in Waukesha but uh you know he got he wasn't on our team that year so so he didn't get the luxury of going to the front with our team so yeah no that that's definitely a good one that Athens win is definitely a good one
0: I think that's a you know that example of winning the Waukesha criteria and bringing Brandon up from from lapping the field to to you know beat out everybody in the sprint I think that's almost description of how you you all race as a team which was you know just this i mean pure talent and fitness obviously like all, all the guys in your team were super fit but you know going up against teams like UHC who were were more pure horsepower um, it was really cool to see Estelis be able to i think really rely on that teamwork and kind of intuition to put teams and riders in just really good positions to win races um, you know if you had to kind of like describe you know how you think the team really operated like would that be pretty accurate or or do you think it, it kind of had other strengths
1: yeah no i would think that that was yeah i mean yeah our guys they they definitely had to had to win together you know they weren't just yeah they and they had to they had to outsmart some other teams too they weren't they were not definitely not always the strongest team in the race so you know they had they had good uh a good relationship with each other and And for the most part, you know, yeah, they traveled well together. They, they lived well together. So definitely big team efforts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Again, why, why I was a huge fan of the team again, even before I knew you or talked to any of the riders, because it was just, you know, really cool to watch the guys work together and, uh, and win some of those big races. Um, yeah, you know, you know, eventually, uh, with, with 2016 coming to a close, you know, you lost, uh, your title sponsorship. So the team had to, had to kind of, you know, fold and some of the riders went on to do uh, some other stuff. Some riders just kind of went into semi-retirement or at least, you know, stepped away from full-time racing. Um, But, you know, when you look back at, you know, Astellas as a partner, how, how was that working with such a big uh, sponsor? And, um, you know, I've got to imagine that it, it had its, uh, you know, it, it had its difficulties in kind of keeping that funding going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, it def- at the end of the day, the, the sponsorship ran its course. And, and I mentioned earlier about, you know, people telling us what our sponsor wanted and, and everybody thought that our sponsor wanted us to be at the tour of California and they didn't like, and, and for, for five years, we had a great relationship that they wanted us to be out in front of, uh, out at bike tours or at medical conventions, they didn't care at all about the racing. And so we kind of fooled them. (laughs) We got, we got, we got to race 60 or 70 times a year, you know, between the road squad and the crit squad. We got to, you know, we got to do all that fun stuff and all we had to do for them. not I shouldn't say all we had to do for them, but we would do these medical conferences or we would do bike tours that were sponsored by a hospital. And that's where so we we actually we did have a really good relationship, but then the relationship ran its course, you know people switched uh management positions switched at at Astellis, and so you know times change and and they you know i I think that they got out of the sponsorship what they were looking for, and we definitely got you know got what we were looking for at from a sponsor
0: yeah and I think you bring up a great point too, which is you know i i think um and you know, I, I think a lot about, you know, how sponsorship works in bike racing. And I talk to people like yourself and others who have a, a lot more concrete experience, obviously working with bigger corporate sponsors from outside the bike industry. And I think there's this always this emphasis on um, just getting in front of the biggest audiences, right? You got to ride the tour of California, you got to get in these, uh, you know, these UCI stage races, you've got to get some points. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's obviously there's, there's, some, um, there's a valid point there, but, you know, when you look at the races that the team was focused on, which were, were community-driven criteriums, uh, oftentimes series that were in the Midwest, and Estellas, I think, was a Chicago-based company, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the U.S. offices are in Northbrook.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a big difference between throwing the logo, which most people tuning into the tour of California probably have no idea what Estelus is, you know, throwing that logo out there in front of a huge audience versus bringing that brand and those riders to these, you know, tight knit and smaller communities. You know, I think there's a lot more value in, in the engaged audiences that show up to races like the Intelligentsia Cup, the Tulsa Tough, the Tour of America's Dairyland, uh, Speed Week, you know i think there's a, there's a lot to be said about those audiences and, and their their willingness to you know kind of be interested in these sponsors again versus you know some of these larger larger tv slots
1: yeah you know it you definitely and, and it's you know uh, we go to a criterium some you know well first off we're going to bike we're going to bike tours and and we're riding with the physicians that know what estelis is you know like they know yeah. they know what drugs estelis makes for what different things you know and so you know we're at those bike tours and and we're the ride with the pros there and then or you know say we're at some random small criterium in you know, a suburb of Chicago and a physician's like hey I've subscribed you know a medication from from that company and our riders are two feet away and they're open to have a conversation it's not on a TV where you see it flash by and that's and that's it you know so the fact that our our riders were all available and you know, it was kind of cool for those doctors to be like, you know, to put a connection of, of something that nobody else knows about unless you use that product. So it was, yeah. it was cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now, you know, we've kind of gone through your, your cycling career up until now, and, and I think you've worn a lot of hats. You've been, you've been the racer, you've been the team director, uh, but let's get into a little bit of what you're doing now, which is more on the, uh, the race promoter side. And, uh, you know, to segue into this conversation, that's actually where Andrew and I met is 2018 intelligentsia cup. Um, I usually every year I take a little bit of time off work and I enjoy, uh, working these bike races, doing the setup, the teardown and that year, uh, Andrew happened to be helping out and also on some of the crew. Uh, so yeah, that's actually, uh, where we kind of got our, uh, got our introduction there.
1: Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, I, I like to consider myself a lifer in cycling and it doesn't
0: matter what I'm doing. I just want
1: to be around just, you know, hopefully helping somebody out or, you know, uh, put, helping put on a good event or something. So, so after the team kind of folded, um, yeah, you know, I was talking with Tom Schuler, and I was like, Hey, when do you need some help? And so he was working, you know, he does intelligentsia cup too, as well, as well as toad. And so started working that for a little while and then, uh, then toad and, for a couple of years. And, and now, uh, I don't know if you know it yet, but, uh, but I've, I've bought into Toad. So I'm, I'm one of the partners now.
0: Oh, that's awesome to hear. I was actually going to ask that. Um, but that's really cool to hear. So man, you're, you're fully vested. You're, uh, you're, you're part of the, the inner circle now, huh?
1: Yeah. 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 But I think we got a big inner circle. I mean, I think it, it's oh, yeah. a big family and it's, it's definitely, it's an easy thing to do. It's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, when it comes to these, these bike races, you know, when you're a racer, a lot of the times you don't even really think about it. You just like show up in the morning and you just, you know, do your, whatever, do your, uh, your up. you get onto the course and, you know, you do your race and then you just show up the next day. Right. Um, and yeah, like you don't really think about it, but you know, when I started working with intelligentsia and then toad, it's a really cool experience to actually be part of the crews that put on these bike races and you get an awesome perspective on how these things happen, like all the work that goes into it too, uh, which is really neat. And I think, you know, for any like uh, people out there that maybe they're, maybe they're college kids, maybe they're high school kids or, or whatever, they have the time. I would highly recommend anybody, you know, kind of like get involved in some kind of cycling event just so you can see like what it's like and, and yeah, I think you kind of nailed it too. It's just, it's fun. It's not really that much work, right. You know, it's just like, it's cool to be able to put on such an awesome event, like, like Downer or, or, uh, or walk a shot, right. These events where you just see, you know, all these fans, it's a, it's a very cool experience.
1: Yeah. And I'll tell you though, uh, <laughs> this year, the, uh, the, the actual race days, we can't wait for the race days to start because the race days are the easy days, um, this year for sure. Just with all the, the stuff that we have going on, um, with covid and all so um yeah but no and, and and you do all the hard work on the front end so you have fun those days that we're we'll get to see the races and get to see everybody excited to be racing
0: absolutely so andrew do you have any uh do you have any favorite memories thus far uh being involved with these events or working with these events like i mentioned you know we, we met back in 2018 through intelligentsia we worked against together in 2019 with toad so you know, there's definitely a couple stories there, but yeah. Do you have any, uh, do you have any fond memories so far?
1: So honestly, like the fond memories I have are watching the the riders that are here with their friends racing. And, and it's, and it's like, it's almost like reliving my childhood. Like the reason I live in Wisconsin is because of bike racing. When my wife was looking for a job, I said, look at Milwaukee. It's an awesome summertime city. And she got a job in Milwaukee. And, you know, because I used to come here every year to race. And so, watching, you know, a group of friends that are here that they're not even racing in the same category, but watching, you know, five 20 year old kids hanging out together, watching the cat fours, the fives, you know, and then, you know, maybe there's a pro one, two rider with them, just hanging out and getting to experience, you know, Midwest summer. Uh, Yeah. I'd say those are some of my, my favorite experiences of working these events.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a really cool vibe and, uh, and all around really cool experience. Um, it's, it's definitely work sometimes, though. I, I remember the, the, the year that I worked Intelligentsia, I think the first three days, it just rained. It was just raining like every single day. And it was like my first time ever kind of being involved with one of these events and working in. And, you know, we would get there early. We would, we would set up the course. And I just remember uh, just being wet for like 48 hours straight, except for when we were back at the hotel. And the only place to find refuge was in these like box fans that we kept like cinder blocks in and, uh, and like crash pads for the riders. And I just yep. remember, uh, you know, one time I was in this box van with uh, with like three other dudes, and we just all had our shoes off trying to dry our feet out. And I think Tom opened up, Tom Schuler opened up the back of the box van and just like got a whiff and. Just <laughs> He just walked away. He's like, oh, absolutely not. <laughs>
1: yeah, but, you know, I, you know, the, the fact that you and, and, and your your group of friends take time off of your real jobs and come to work these bike races, I think says a lot about how much fun they are and the experience of it.
0: Yeah, dude, we, we absolutely love it. It's so much fun. I mean, especially, like, you know, Tommy tommy's a road a remote accountant so when he takes off to work toad he actually takes a pay cut to be there which is kind of crazy like he doesn't have paid time to, paid time off yeah so uh he yeah he he basically pays money to to be on the toad crew and work but yeah i mean that's like my favorite time my favorite thing to do with my pto every year is uh you know instead of going to you know some vacation where i get to relax i would rather sling white fence and uh be exhausted for 11 days because you know, it's just a blast.
1: Yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm excited for another 11 days this year. Missing last year was tough, but, uh, but we'll be back this year.
0: Yeah. So that was, that was one of my other questions. Um, what are the plans for 2021 with Toad returning? Um, like you mentioned, you know, last year, unfortunately due to COVID, um, you know, I think you and the crew tried really hard to make it happen, but, you know, like all other racing, it just wasn't a reality. So you know, what are the plans this year? We're, we're full steam ahead with 11 days of racing.
1: Yeah. Full steam ahead. Um, we don't have the exact schedule planned out yet, but it looks like, it looks like it'll be 10 days for all the categories. And then we'll have an extra day on the front end of juniors only. Um, yeah. So we'll have some fun venues. It'll be, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. We should be having the uh, the uh, the schedule will be out in the next week or so. We've got a couple of communities that we're we're waiting to to finalize things with, but uh, but we're committed to going full steam full steam ahead, um, June sixteenth through the twenty uh, seventh.
0: Oh man, I yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I can't wait. I severely missed Toad last year. Um, you know, I, I got to ask you though. I think everybody's got a favorite. I've got a favorite. Um, but what is your favorite day of Toad? what is your favorite stage
1: oh man (laughs) wait wait
0: wait. let me let me let me preface this you can't say downer i'm gonna i'm gonna eliminate downer because i think everybody would say downer nearly everybody
1: well i i I live in shorewood so well here here it is so okay so here from my, my my past racing um so i didn't race for like five or six years and then and Then I was getting married, and my, my big thing was like, I'm going to go to Toad with my friends, and that's going to be my bachelor party. So, my, my bachelor party 10 years ago was at Toad, and uh, and yeah, and so I uh, I got my, my best, uh, I, I did well in Grafton and Waukesha that year, so I, I do like those courses, those are fun courses. Waukesha is a lot of fun, um, and in 25 years ago, I won a cat three race in Waukesha, so I guess Waukesha. Waukesha is, is one of my favorites. Um, unfortunately, it will not be around this year. It's a, it's a venue change for this year, so yeah, I do, I do like Waukesha.
0: In Wausau and Grafton, they have fun courses, but they have some of the best communities too. I think that's like what makes a great Toad race or or whatever series that you are doing. You've got to have a a good community that has a lot of people that come come out. And I think you know, for Toad, all of them all of the communities are good in that they all everybody comes out, they watch the races. But there is definitely some communities where you you see like the downtowns filled up, and that's like awesome to see for a bike race. Um, Yeah, yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud at like school pickup that I can talk about, you know, working for Toad and, and being one of the, the organizers for Toad because it truly is the biggest event in the summer in Shorewood. So it's it's cool that like I live in the town now that you are know, where I work, what I do is the biggest event in in the town. So it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's and again, you know, it's like, something that's just kind of in your blood right you've got you know you've, you're going to always be a cyclist whether it's uh racing whether it's directing a team and now you know working for this event and it's cool too that you know you've always been kind of tangentially connected to like these series right whether it was super Week racing that and then obviously you guys with the stellus did toad like you did that was your big thing every year you always would come and do dairy lands yeah um, for sure and, I, and, and now you're directing it which is really cool um yeah i so i need to uh, also, ask one question about um, so like workers. Obviously, I've been working on the crew. Um, I want I'd like you to rank workers in order from most efficient to least efficient, best worker to worst worker. We're just gonna go, there's a lot of workers, so we're just gonna go. We're gonna go with three. All right, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to rank uh, myself, uh, yeah, Tommy Zilkowski, Tommy Z, and Adam uh, Adam Bogstad. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're not putting me on any spots there. Well, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but then, then you have to rank them back too. Then, so uh, I'll, I'll rank
0: them back too. I'll rank them back too.
1: Tommy's the uh, Tommy's the best truck driver.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll give I'll give you that one. Yeah, Tommy's the sure. best
1: truck driver. <laughs> um,
0: he he would lose the least amount of feet. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. You you're the best fence slinger, oh, and Bo- and Bogstad's the best entertainer. <laughs>
0: that's that's really what Bog said was around for he's a he's our dear friend and he'd always keep a i would say he keep spirits high but actually i don't think that's what his intention was i think he was just funny um yeah i i was gonna say if i had to if i had to rank i'd say tommy's number one man tommy's just got that accountant like motivation he just gets the work done he's focused uh I try to emulate. Whenever I'm working, I try to emulate Tommy. Uh, I put myself in the middle there. You know, I I'd, I'd like to think that I'm I'm a close close behind. To him. And uh, I'm I'm gonna say yeah. Adam Adam's coming in at number three. So that's, I think he, I think he would also rank us like that as well. So I don't think he has a problem with that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I—I um, I mean, I don't know. Like the crew is so efficient overall. Like I get to just hang out at the angle fence and look at the start finish line all day. You guys are out doing all the hard work
0: setting up all the corners, so
1: I get yeah. to go through it afterwards to make sure that it looks good, and it always does. So I'm definitely appreciative.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we're just we're making a game out of it, trying to get that white fence up as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, man. I you know I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, I've I've had you for an hour now, so I think. Uh, we're good to wrap it up. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for stopping by chatting with me, talking about some racing, talking about some toad, you know, I'd love to have you back on the podcast. We like to kind of talk a little bit about some of the USA Kurtz races happening this year. And even when we get closer to toad, maybe doing a little preview show there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It would be awesome to get you back on again. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And for all you listeners out there, thank you so much for listening this week. You can catch us on all of our social media at bike race weekly, And uh, until next time, see you later.